GM. Let's go. Put it in the box. And make it 14 as he gets Anderson looking. Jacob DeGrom ties his career high with 14 strikeouts. Scooter and the big man busts the city in half, and the Mets lead it. A grand slam high off the right field foul pole. He's done it again. Francisco Lindor. That's driven to deep right field, headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Jeff McNeil breaks the ice with his 23rd home run of the year. Uh, amazing city. Podcast. Well, we said we'd be back when we find out who the manager is going to be. And to no one's surprise, uh, the Mets have announced the three-year extension for 65-year-old Buck Showalter. Jack, it's not the news that we wanted. It's not what we were hoping for. But, I mean, in all honesty, how mad can we really get at the hiring of a manager at this point he seems motivated to win a world series here and for me if mike piazza is on board with the hiring i guess i can get on board with i'll talk myself into it so first uh again as you're always your host antonio slater and jack ramsey jack how are you um i'm good you know i think it was one of those scenarios where there really was no wrong answer per se right um there were some that might feel more right than others but it felt like no matter what you did or what they did, it just kind of felt like, you know, you're going to get a good guy and a good guy for the job. Um, you know, I think one of the perks to Buck is, you know, obviously the experience. You know, he's worked with an involved um, wealthy owner before. Um, you know, he's recently worked in the game. He's has, you know, 2,000 plus games of managerial experience. Um you know, and I think I def- the way I'm choosing to look at it is, for all intents and purposes, assuming Buck sees his contract all the way through all three years, this might just be his last stop. And he's come close. You know, he had some pretty good teams at Baltimore. He sniffed the World Series there, got to an ALCS, but couldn't make it out. You know, the the Diamondbacks win a, win a ring the year after he leaves. The Yankees, Yankees won obviously three. The Yankees won a million after he left. So, you know, he's gotten close, but he hasn't quite gotten there. And, you know, just knowing Buck, um, you have to know that that, that eats at him, that bothers him. You know, it's not something he wants. He wants to get that ring. So the way I choose to look at it is that you know he will do what he needs to do to get that ring. And I think an even bigger accomplishment would be doing it with a first-time owner. You know, for all intents and purposes, really a first-time general manager. You know, granted, Epler does have his four years, but that's like saying that any GM really has full control under the Bopons. Right. You know, we, just, we just know that's simply simply a fallacy. We just know it's not true. You know, so this is Epler's first time is really having the full reins to himself. Um, and, you know, and another side of it is he gets Sandy Alderson that second ring. And I'm like, you know, I think if looking from every angle you look at it, you now have – you know, your top four in charge all have really, really strong reasons to win. Aside mm-hmm. from the obvious, if that's their job, you know, Sandy might be on the edge of a Hall of Fame career. I think a second ring puts him over. He's a first-time owner who gave himself a very lofty goal of a title in three to five years. This is year two. You know, Buck Showalter is leading you through that window. That was right. Steve Cohen's decision. If Billy Epler, first time is a true 
you know, full control general manager. First time for him to prove himself, get a ring your first time. Nothing, no better way to prove yourself than that. Now you have Buck Showalter, his fifth team. Will be his 21st, 22nd, and 23rd years as the manager. You know, just doing what he couldn't do with the big bad Yankees. Yeah, and the way I'm trying to look at it is if there's one thing that this team really did lack last year, and whether if you believe the reports from, from the past season or not, is it seemed like there was a real lack of accountability. And that's the one, the one thing, even when I, I tried to, even when I was bashing Buck and I was all aboard the Espada train, I, I always thought that Showalter would have given the team the most accountability within the locker room. And <clears throat> so just kind of keep everyone aligned with accomplishing the, the common goal that all 30 teams start out with opening day. And that's to win a world series. And that's one of the things that he really hammered home in his press conference was he's not going to try to subdue any personality. So the, the, the Lindors and, and, and all the bigger personalities that are going to be on this team, whoever, whoever knows it, who else we're ever going to sign the Marte's got a personality. McNeil's got a personality. Alonzo's got a personality. Everyone on the team has their own voice and a little flair to them. So he's going to not shut them down, but he said, listen, Eagles get checked at the door. If you're playing for the Mets, if you're going to be wearing the Mets blue and orange, the goal is to win. And they, they need to make sure that everything they do when they're on the, on the field is for winning for the New York Mets. So I kind of, I did like about that. It, again, it's a press conference and it's much easier to win a press conference than to lose one. you have to just bomb it to not do well, but I don't know. Like I'm trying to talk myself into it. He'll bring accountability. We'll bring that better veteran mindset. I think if nothing else, he was just very blunt. Yeah. You know? I got, the, I got the quote in front of me. There's no magic spark. There's no magic sprinkle dust. It's about winning baseball games. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times when you get into these press conferences, you hear, oh, well, we want to do this. And, you know, we hope to be here. Da, da. I think Buck was very straightforward. He said, look, you know, no one's going to be bigger than this team. No one, no one player is going to be allowed to have a bigger ego, bigger personality than the other. You know, when you play for Buck, you play for your team. You know, I think that's one thing that people are always going to know about Buck Showalter. That'll never really be something you can debate or try and change around. Is that, you know, there's not much BS that gets to fly under Showalter. Yeah. You know, whereas we saw a lot of it under, well, under the Callaways and under the Rojas's. Mm -hmm. So I think this is definitely a nice change of pace in the sense that, you know, we're probably not going to have any more rat raccoon arguments. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think the days of incidents like that are kind of gone. I know. I also kind of wonder. Just thinking about it now, I wonder if, if there was a guy like a Buck Showalter managing, do you think Francisco Lindor kind of challenges the Yankees with the whistling thing? Oh yeah, you still think that happens? Because I think with Buck, it's a you play for your team type thing, and if you think your team's getting cheated. Show let it. them know oh yeah oh yeah i don't think some i don't think he would have tried to choke out jeff mcneil <laughs> yeah. but i definitely but I, yeah but i definitely think he would have still challenged the yankees right i think if anything that makes you know buck showalter makes you think he would have challenged him more i was just buck gonna say thinking right back on it, especially if it were the yankees you probably like it even more you, you hit a 450 foot dick shot to dead dead center 
you challenge the other team, and then you back it up with a third one. Oh, if anything, Buck would have been you on walk the, the walk. Then you go ahead and talk the talk. Buck probably would have been, been on the top step going at it with him. More than likely, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, I think right. that's one thing that we have to kind of consider. No team in New York has won a ring in at least 13 years. And, you know, oh I promise God, you, Buck kind of, well, I promise you, Buck kind of feels like he got cheated out of a couple. You know, there's nothing to say that if the Yankees keep Showalter, they don't win three rings in four years. There's very simply nothing to say. Especially considering going to that Joe Torre was not entirely known for managerial success. For all intents and purposes, he was a putrid manager in Queens. Mm. So, Buck's got a chance to go out and win a ring before his former employer does and really just kind of shove it up their ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like. I think there's a lot of motivation on every side to get this done. Yeah. And, you know, I think I failed to kind of look at this angle initially. But it, it's got to be, there's going to be insane expectations on this team, especially considering they're not done yet. Once the lockout not ends, they're gonna, they still have to go sure up their bullpen, maybe out of their bat, another starter. There's still a lot of work for Epler and Co. to do. Mm-hmm. But the expectations are going to be absurd. Yeah. Last year, there weren't lofty expectations. There were just lofty goals. And I think mm-hmm. we got to kind of, you know, point out the difference between that. Oh, well, I think, I, I think there were everyone... some high expectations. You, well, you trade for Lindor, you, you trade for Carrasco, you, you give James McCann a four-year deal, you, you, it, like Trevor Mays. Was anyone really expecting James McCann to go out and, you know, hit 280 and hit 20 bombs? Like, realistically, you know, it was kind of a questionable signing from the jump. That's fair. I mean – no, they didn't expect him to be a top top tier offensive catcher, but they I thought they they get more than what he gave him last year. What he hit like two twenty, he hit like what? But those were twelve those are homers. Close, those are pretty close to his career norms, though. That's my thing. Is you brought in guys you're hoping, you know, you you were hoping Lindor would you know kind of strike out that lower trend his career had kind of been on recently. Right. You're hoping Carrasco will be able to bounce back from a very interrupted and shortened year in 2019 and then the short 2020. Right. You're hoping McCann plays up. You know, it just yeah. didn't really happen. But now, this time, you go out, you know what Starling Marte is. Mm-hmm. You know what Mark Canna is. You know what Eduardo Escobar is. Those are certainties. Right. There's not ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. You know, you know what those guys are. You want to debate how good that is? Sure, by all means. But those aren't question marks. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a Max Scherzer, you know what he is. <laughs> you know so you're not he going. Is. So here's the thing: is I think going into last year, there was I definitely understood. I think a lot of Mets fans did too. There was a, always a chance they finished below 500 and in fourth place. That mm-hmm. that chance still persisted. And just looking at the team on paper right now, even if they don't add another bat and they just strictly round out the pen and add bring in one more starter. You're looking at the first or second place team. Yeah, they should be. Considering that the rest of the analyst hasn't done anything. You know, in all seriousness, if, the, if Zach Scott and the Mets are more aggressive to the deadline and put the pedal to the metal and go out and get another starter or a second bat, they could probably still wrap up the division. Oh, yeah. And they're probably either, and maybe Rojas isn't gone. Maybe, you know, if he doesn't fall asleep at 4 a.m. at a traffic light, maybe Zach Scott's not gone. But there's a lot of different angles at play. Right. But the fact of the matter is they couldn't 
because that team had a lot of question marks in the first place. You know, even if you were to say, you know, let's let's say hypothetically Jacob DeGrom only gives you 16, 17 starts next year. Right. It's not like you're now asking Tywin Walker, Marcus Stroman, Carlos Strashka, whoever, guys that are not number one to step up and be number one. Mm-hmm. If DeGrom's arm falters again, you have still a clear-cut top-tier number one. Sure. Which I think is probably a big reason they went out and got Scherzer. You know, yeah, you I definitely think so. You can't be 100% sure what this dude's arm is going to be, especially when you have five different injuries on five different spots. Yeah. Yeah, the, the arm concerns definitely have to be there after last year because it always looked like there was something. I do think now that in all likelihood, once the lockout ends and the, there's a new CBA, that uh, pictures hitting are, are going to be gone. And that's, according to Garam, that's where most of the injuries happen from swinging the bat. So if it was just just from that, I'm pretty, I feel safe about DeGrom's arm. But in case it does happen, like you said, now you have that security, that reassurance that, okay, we're missing out on the, the best picture on the planet in Jacob DeGrom. Now we have the second best picture on the planet in Max Scherzer stepping up to the plate. And he's done this before. He's done it for, what, 15 years? So it's not like, it's not like you're going to have to be like, oh, well, he's only done it for a couple of years. It's not like a Robbie Ray situation where he was really good for one year. This is Max freaking Scherzer we're talking about. Where at the end of his contract, he can retire and he can waltz into Cooperstown. So the Mets are in good shape with that, but they still need. Last year, it was an incomplete roster after the moves. You are right with that, definitely. And this is definitely an improved roster with the moves that they made, but they could still improve a little bit. They need a third baseman, they need one more starter, probably. And they need, as we've said the, the entire offseason, minimum two bullpen arms. Yeah, I mean, I think as you're constructed right now, you have Diaz, Castro, May, Lugo. And I think it's safe to say you can pencil Drew Smith into one. Yeah. But I think kind of the issue arises is that you go four relievers deep where you're just figuring you can pencil in a fifth. After that, you got Jake Reed. You got Sean Reed Foley. It's a lot of question marks. Thomas Zapucky. It's not even just a question mark. You have a couple of good depth arms. The guys you can trust to bring up from Syracuse. But that's even that's a shallow option. Mm-hmm. You know, so at the minimum, they need a Deakman, an Athlon. Not an Athlon. What's his name? Chafin. Oh, Chafin, yeah. A Deakman, a Chafin, something like that. Yeah, you need a lefty. You need a strong lefty. At minimum, one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not really one to believe in lefty-righty matchups. But... I mean, they at minimum need two more strong arms. Yeah. Ah, oh, damn. Yankees hired Eric Chavez as an assistant hitting coach. Did they? There were some Epler ties there. Would have been. There were. And that's another thing that they really need. Now, because there's a lockout and they can't talk to players, they can't talk to agents, they can't do anything of that sort, they need to spend this time filling out the staff. They need a bench coach. And in all likelihood, either the bench coach or one of the other assistant positional coaches, they need to probably make that guy the heir apparent to, to, to Buck Showalter because, again, here's here's, 65. Here's, here's my gripe with that. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably would guarantee that Hefner is a pitching coach with um, Jeremy Accardo still working out there. Mm-hmm. Those are basically your only two guarantees at this point. Yeah. So you still need to hire – First base coach, third base coach, 
bench coach, quality control coach, and a hitting coach. And this is hitting coach. Here's my thinking. You're going to have to appease Mr. Showalter in some way. Sure. You're not just going to be able to hand a pitching staff, a coaching staff to him. He's going to want a couple of his own guys. Oh, no, of course. You know, we see, you know, we saw Brian Butterfield get let go, you know, Wayne Kirby get let go. Those guys are probably, at least one of them is a safe bet to join the team. But I do think we probably see a balance. You know, maybe there is someone the Mets really like as an organizational guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and someone that really believes in what they want to do. You let Buck bring in your own hitting coach. You hand them an assistant hitting coach. Right. You know, the a guy who's going to sit there with a tablet. Maybe Buck really just wants Wayne Kirby as his bench coach. You hand him, you know, I would have said an Eric Chavez. But let's say you hand him an Andy McCullough as a bench coach and you let Wayne Kirby be your quality control coach. Right. Or whatever. I mean, the Mets are most more than likely going to keep that title of quality control coach. It just gives you an extra guy on the bench, but you probably have to have a mix of, you know, guys Showalter wants and guys Ben Zosmer and Billy Epler want. Yeah, and you know, because Buck Showalter's not a about, guy you're gonna. Go a lot of people are talking about the rumor about maybe Beltron being the bench coach, and you brought up a good point. As much as I would love that to happen, do you really think the guy's gonna take the job, a bench coach job for the guy for the team that fired him in the first place? I would love Beltron to be a part of the staff long-term. I would love for him to manage his team long-term, but we have to be realistic a little bit here, people. I just don't see that as a reality. I would love it, but I don't see it as reality. I think it's more likely that in two to three years, they just promote Jeremy Hefner and make him the manager as opposed to Beltron taking the spot. I think here's my thing with Beltron. He was terrible with the media. You know, it just, it's, he did not seem like he knew how to handle the media, his presser. I don't think that's something you can learn as a bench coach. I think you only really learn that as manager. But I think a lot of times people confuse having a high IQ, a high baseball IQ, with being able to manage a team. Right. I don't know if I think Carlos Beltran's the type of personality who can command a clubhouse, command the winning culture, be able to meet lofty expectations in the, media, in the biggest media market in the country. Right. I just don't think he's that guy. And, you know, as we saw with him a couple of years ago, just, he did not seem to handle the media well. I don't under you know, it's – I point this out. You can't, you can't say you're done with rookie managers and the Mets should never do it again, and then like get on your hands and knees. Makes no sense. Begging for this one, and it doesn't make no sense. It's one thing that he's a fan favorite and all that, and sure, if you want to be bench coach and kind of learn from Buck, and if you trust Buck, do that. Sure, but and at the same time, people, <laughs> you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. Like it's one or the other. And these are probably the same people that, that probably want to. The Mets hired Granderson, and he was never really a serious candidate. Why? If anything, Granderson's probably in a short list of people to become a commissioner someday. Uh, yeah. Just with, just with what he's what he's doing with the Players Alliance. Mm-hmm. I mean, all talk about being able to handle the media. And he was a union rep when he played too, right? Yes. Odds are he probably lands a job in the union soon. I mean, who knows when Tony Clark's deal with the union is up? Granderson might be up for that job. Mm-hmm. So, like. You know, Mets fans just love throwing names out there that make no like David Wright's not the leader. David Wright was never gonna manage. This he's team. got he's got young kids in L.A. and like, the the fuck is Wally Backman gonna do with this <laughs> team? Take their bats and snow cork off coke off it to honor Lenny Dykstra? Like, is he gonna do honorary Doc Gooden coke in the bathroom during the like the seventh inning stretch? I don't, I don't understand the thought process behind throwing out some of the names that we've seen. I don't get it. I don't. But, I mean, I think in the end, 
we probably see a mixture of a staff that the Mets front office wants and one show Walter wants. And maybe they do agree on a couple names. You know, Chavez would have been a name I could see them both agreeing on. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I definitely think, you know, a guy like McCullough could definitely jump ship and still come over, seeing that Showalter had a relationship with his dad in Arizona because his dad was a scout. Mm-hmm. And he was a young forward thinker that could definitely work well at the Mets front office. Maybe that makes sense to the quality control coach. And you kind of, maybe that's your heir apparent. But I also don't understand why there has to be an heir apparent to the, to the manager seat on the staff you know like well i'm not saying that there has to be but i think i think there has to be one internal guy that they could see as a possibility because it's not like they hired a 40 year old it's not like they hired someone that's that it's not like they gave a guy a five-year deal this is a guy and like you said in in your opening part here this is more than likely his last shot it's his last shot and personally i wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't live out the three years of the contract and retires after year two. Hell, maybe maybe somehow the, the Mets win it all in 2022, and maybe he just retires and go, and rides off into the sunset after year one. So I think there needs to be an, some internal candidate they can kind of rely on in case that does happen. I'm not saying they need to, but I feel like I feel like yeah. if I'm running a team, and obviously I, I'm what the hell do I know? I'm just I'm I have a podcast. That's all I I, I am, but. That's what I would have done. No. Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. But, I mean, the last guy they kind of deemed as that didn't entirely work out great. No, it did not. And, I mean, I think a lot of that was more circumstantial than him. Right. He definitely proved his own personal flaws a few times. Yeah, like I, I, worked, with, um, I worked with one guy who used to work in their player development until Brody came in and then – then his his exact words is he got brodied. Um, he said that from from the jump, Rojas has been their guy for close to a decade. Like he's been the guy that they've been trying to make a major league manager, and it clearly did not work out. It'll work out for him in the Bronx. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll be great. Waving that arm. <laughs> It's, it's so stupid, man. I, I, I've gone on so many different rants with people about the whole great fit as Rojas' third base coach. That thing pissed me off beyond belief. But now, now hear me out. If Aaron Boone, I mean, assuming Boone really has one more year to do something substantial, you know, because he's been the dud to a T. If Aaron Boone, let's say the Yankees are out of the playoff picks, playoff spot by – July 1st, does Boone get the axe and you make Rojas your guy? I mean, I mean, they, the, the Yankees announced the rest of their staff today. And the guy on that list you can most likely see becoming a manager aside from Luis Rojas is Eric Chavez. Correct. Who is an assistant hitting coach. The assistant hitting coach to, to manager, to interim manager career arc is one that we have not discovered yet. <laughs> no. So I mean, I think the reason oh, they gave Boone a new contract, they gave him a, a deal through twenty four. Yeah, but I think he's an option every year. Oh, I could okay. be wrong if that's the case. Um, but still, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could see a world where they maybe give that spot to to Matt Blake. They seem to really like him, but I don't know. But there's a chance Luis Rojas might be the most valuable coaching non-manager coach in baseball. Just considering that. You know, he still clearly will get another managerial job. I mean, 
the dude's not even 40. He's got oodles of managerial experience. And I think most anyone you talk to within baseball chalks most of his failures up to circumstance. He was given a, a really weird, crappy 2020 year where his four and five were Michael Walker and Rick Porcello. Mm-hmm. And then you have an incomplete team with astronomical expectations. Right. I mean, it just it didn't make sense. And in the end, he gets canned. Right. And he wasn't the original choice. No, that too. He was only thrown into the spot because of the Astro scandal. And here's my thing about that. While I get the point, everyone else that got, aside from uh, Leno, everyone else involved in that has gotten their second chance at the, maybe there's a reason Beltron hasn't gotten his. Not because he's not deserving, but because people just don't think he's a great candidate. I mean, there's not too much to love about him as a candidate. He showed he couldn't handle the media well. Yeah, he's got a good baseball mind, but there's also nothing to suggest that his personality will be able to handle a major league clubhouse. And I think at this, I mean, you know, clearly Rojas wasn't able to handle a major league clubhouse. Right. And I would argue he's got a bigger personality than Beltron. Or stronger personality. That's the word I'm looking for. Right. Maybe. And then, you know, you have a guy who's only managerial experience came and went in about a month. <laughs> right. And in that month, he was not overly impressive. Well, I mean, it, it's tough to really grade him on that because he didn't manage a game. He didn't even manage a, 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 a training camp. So it's tough yeah, to really grade I, him out I on that. I both know that, you know, you can run a team out there and just let the numbers pick the outcomes and the, the records will probably still be pretty similar. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I definitely think Beltron definitely gets another shot. But I think he was given the Mets opportunity just because everything about it just made so much sense. So recently retired, walked off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Former team. He, he showed a desire to want to manage, especially in New York. He had a lot of success in New York with the seven years he was here. So well, every- not, not to mention he's coming from just being a player in one of the smartest teams in baseball. Right. The bench coach there was going to become the manager of the Red Sox. And- right. And everyone pretty much every former player there essentially called him another coach. So a lot of it just made sense. The timing was perfect. The situation was perfect. It made sense. So I don't know if it needs to be another situation like that, but there needs Carlos Beltran is getting another opportunity to manage in the major leagues. I, I feel very confident saying that here on December 21st, 2021, who knows what's going to happen. Maybe in five years, I, I look like an idiot. He hasn't even got an interview, but I feel very confident saying that. Uh, but to your point, yeah, I think if you had to say today, who's a more valuable managerial candidate, Carlos Beltran or Luis Rojas? Sure. I'll give you, I'll give the not to Rojas because he has, he's, he's done it. He's, he's actually shown that he could manage a, a game. Beltran hasn't gotten that opportunity. So on the basis of that no, alone, Rojas also, had, Rojas also had a team of Yonesri Fargus and Pat Mazika yeah. and Wilfredo Tovar and Jordan Yamamoto. He had them win in ball games. Sure. Like, and there's many different ways to look at it. I just look at it as it was weird from start to finish. Yeah. Rojas. But, you know, there was a while where early on you were thinking it's going to be Rojas or Gabe Kapler who wins the manager of the year. Yeah. And obviously that quickly fizzled because I think they hit 11 games over in June and that was her high watermark. Yeah. Or something like that. 
But there was a little bit for a couple months where it seemed like this is a guy. He will be here for the next 10 years. However long Luis Rojas wants this job, it's his. And you know I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there is a, I think there's a reasonable chance that one day he manages the Mets again, just considering the insanely deep ties to the team. I think it's possible. Unlikely, yes. Okay, yeah. Poss- impossible, no. Because I think okay, you have to consider the ties to the team, his family's ties to the team, just how long he was in the organization, the fact they offered him a chance to stay but in a different role. You know, and let's be honest, most anywhere in life, hey, we're going to remove you from your spot, but we're not going to offer you a different role. That almost never pans out. <laughs> it never Almost does. no one ever takes that offer. Right. You know, I, I've turned down that offer before. <laughs> you know, but I, I'll, I'm just going to go back to it, man. If the Yankees are struggling and they can Boone, Luis Rojas will be managing the New York Yankees, and Mets Twitter will self-implode. The Mets could throw a no-hitter a perfect game, who win 26 in a row, but they'll care far more about how the Yankees and Luis Rojas are doing. You are so on the money with that. You're so on the, you're 100% right, because that's the I way mean, Mets Twitter works. And, and I mean, it's just like thinking in season wise, pitching coaches never really get the interim manager spot. Yeah. It's usually either a base coach or a bench coach. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing as though they're off, they just announced their, um, the rest of their coaching staff today, and Luis Rojas is still the most notable name on it, aside from Eric Chavez. It's possible. It's not. I think. Yeah. I think after you know, I think they, they, the Yankees just haven't done anything. You know, they're monsters in the regular season. Even last year, they were fairly pedestrian. Yeah, if you take away that, what was it like that fifteen game winning streak? They're. Do they oh, even make yeah. the wild card if they, if they don't do that? Well, I mean, like, ifs and buts and all that, but, like, sure. you know, if instead they go 12 and 3, no, they don't. Right. So, that, they, that's they, exactly they were a game point. up on Boston, who was a game up on Seattle and Toronto. That's exactly my point. So, take away the 15-game win streak or whatever it was. Yeah, say so they go 12 and 3. They if miss. they go 12 and 3, that's still an insane streak to win 12 out of 15. They, they miss the playoffs completely. Yeah. It's very much like um, the Cardinals with their, what was it, 19 or whatever. Well, yeah, and they still fired their man. And they still fired their guy. But that seemed, that seemed like it was pretty, pretty predetermined. Like that was going to happen almost no matter what. Well, I think that was – that move is as big of an indication as any is where the game is going. Mm-hmm. That people are going to have a – teams, organizations, owners are going to have a defined way of how they want to do things. If, they, if that standard is not met, they will go elsewhere. Yeah. And speaking of going elsewhere, segue time. Ooh. The Marlins. The Miami Marlins. Who I think we have to outright say. If it weren't for Billy Epler deciding to spend someone else's money out his ass, Kimming would be the best manager in the NL East, general manager in the NL East right now. Oh, yeah. Are they, do you think? I don't remember who originally reported it. I saw that Sports Edge was running with it. Do you think they have a legitimate chance to poach Michael Conforto? Here's what I'll say. I think Miami has shown that they realize how good that their pitching staff is and the potential of their pitching staff. It is absolutely incredible. They have more arms than they know what to do with. So they're trying to do 
anything in their power to get some damn offense to support it. I've said for quite some time that the team that scares me most going forward, it's not Atlanta. It's certainly not the Nationals. It certainly isn't Philly. It's Miami because they got the arms. They got a good farm system. If they just had some damn offense, they're going to be scary. I hate to compare it and do this to you. They're like, they're in a way, they're like the Denver Broncos. They got a defense. They got weapons up the ass, but they don't have a quarterback. If they just had a quarterback. Did you watch Broncos Bengals this week? I sure, I sure, I saw part of it. Yeah, Teddy throwing 12 passes for 99 yards. Yeah, that's elite stuff. And Drew Locke's first pass out goes Tim Patrick over the middle for 25. Who knows? Drew Locke might just lead the Broncos to the playoffs. Hey, man, they went out, they're 10 and 7. And that's the thing. They might make the playoffs with Drew Locke as their quarterback. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> hey, but, man, they had one year, they were 6-6. Six and six. They just won four in a row with Case Keenum. They had a cakewalk the rest of the way. They lost all four. Yeah. Case Keenum. Case Keenum. Yeah. People want to think the early 2000 Mets were bad. The early 2010s. You know, Chris Young, Mike Pelfrey, Dylan G. You didn't sit through Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Case Keenum, <laughs> Brett Ripien, Kendall motherfucking Hinton. Brett Ripien. Hey, for all my Jets fans out there, eat shit. <laughs> Brett Ripien toasted you on Thursday night football. Oh, man. I'm missing more. Brandon Allen, Joe Flacco. Oh, God. Joe Flacco. <laughs> At least Tim Tebow could run. I'm going to make None this guy cry bad. real quick. I need to, we, need to, we need to go back to the Mets. We need um, to call your sister. <laughs> She was actually at the game. And you know what? I think in the last week, the last couple of weeks, she's really, I don't know if she's just been watching more Giants games, but she's realized that her complaining about Jimmy Garoppolo is ridiculous in comparison to what I have to watch with Daniel freaking Jones and Mike goddamn Glennon. So she's she's kind of halted that, which I appreciate. Shout out to you, G. Um, but yeah, back to baseball, back to the Marlins and back to, to the Mets. First of all, I don't know where this rumor has come from because, again, we're in the midst of a lockout where teams are not supposed to talk to players. I get it, and, and we've said it before. There's going to be a whole lot of golf pairings you, you, going yeah, on. You don't think Jeter and Boris are golf buddies? I get it. I get it. But the fact that there's a report about that now, uh, it seems a little a little odd considering, again, we're in a lockout. and I mean, during the press conference, Showalter and Epler couldn't even say names of players. They are got in trouble for saying Lindor's name. They're not gonna find him, dude. The dude just got ten million dollars. Is that what it was? That's, I know it was like the richest contract, but I haven't seen what the details were. I well, the richest contract was uh, what's his face from Moneyball, Art Howe. Got him. <laughs> I just I just aged myself. I'm really young. He got three and nine. Okay, but yeah, it, honestly, to prime away from MLB Network, and yes, it, it probably is in that in that range. Um, but yeah, so. Miami and Kim, they're doing a great job of trying to, to help offensively and try to get someone. They got Avi Garcia. They've been linked. They've been very heavily linked to Nick Castellanos. But I think they're just trying to get a fallback in case they don't land one of those guys. Do I see Conforto going to Miami? No, I don't see him taking his talents to South Beach. But very much like the Mets, Miami is not done. 
they're going to land a bat. I just don't know who, but they're going to land a bat. I could definitely see them going with more so a quantity over quality approach the rest of the way. Yes. You know, if they didn't have Jesus Aguilar at first, I would think like a Rowdy Tellez would make sense there. That would make a lot of sense. But, you know, I definitely think they go more quantity over quality. You know, maybe they go, maybe they look at their bullpen and go, this isn't great. They go take a shot at Craig Kimbrell. He's out there. The thing is with all these big names is that it is still Miami. They are, they still don't have a whole lot of money there. But here's the thing. You know, they have the prospects to ask a team to eat money. Yeah. I don't know if the Chicago White Sox are the team to eat money. Right. But they have the prospect capital to be able to ask teams to eat money. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe you go from giving up a, you know, if, if internally they view a guy as a top 15 guy, let's, let's say maybe given his contract, they'll give up one top 15 player for Google. Right. Just for conversation's sake. I'm sure, not sure, saying sure. they're going to do this. I'm just, what's, who's to say that if they ask Chicago to eat through two thirds of his deal? You know, maybe now instead they're only having to pay him five million dollars instead of the fifteen, I think it is, or then, yeah. something like that. Right. Then maybe you're internally giving up a top ten guy. But if you warrant the, you know, the, the 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 potential reward to be worth the risk of giving up that 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 prospect, you know, you can do it. Some teams build themselves to be able to do that. Yeah. That was one of the biggest complaints people had about the Bullpons. Is they would give up better prospects instead of taking on money. But some teams want to build to be able to do that because that's the only way they'll be able to bring in guys. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and again, they have more arms than they know to do it. So they could very really easy, easily turn around like a, a Pablo Lopez and turn it into a, a, a bat. So who knows? Um, yeah. I don't know. They're going to be a team to watch. I think they're trying to exhaust all their options because Castellanos apparently wants seven years, which I just – don't see him getting that. And I'm a big Castellanos guy, but seven years for him is, is lofty. Um, he'll be, he'll benefit from the universal DH, but I don't know about seven years, my guy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm giving him that. Yeah. But now instead of talking about players going elsewhere, let's talk about players potentially staying. I believe it was Pat Regazzo who reached out to an executive to talk about what would, a Brandon Nimmo extension look like. And it, much like Cassianos, it was seven years, but $125 million. It's we know what Nimmo is. We know what Nimmo is. I mean, it's very, it's very Buxton-esque. Right, except Nimmo plays more. Nimmo still gets hurt a lot, but he plays yeah, more I mean, than Byron Yeah, Buxton. the difference is Nimmo plays more, but Buxton's better. But when which bounces out, and you probably get pretty similar contracts. Right. I mean the one the one twenty five is fairly team friendly, if not yeah. very. So he's twenty eight. That would take him to his age thirty five season. I think I'm okay with that. I'm not opposed to it either. But here's my problem. He's played more than a hundred games once. One time. He's been up since twenty sixteen, and he's really he's played more than ninety games twice. He played 92 this year. He played 140 in 2018. Well, I mean, how it. many how many games did he play in 2020? He played 55, so I'll give him that. All right, so he played a full season basically two years ago. Right. Played half a season this year. 2019, he was hurt. Yep. 2018, he played a full year. 
140 games. Yeah. We'll call, yeah. Yeah. 2017. I think he was hurt and was not up to start the year. Yeah. So in 16, he played 32. That was the year where in April, they kind of fucked around with him, sent him up and down. Up and down all the time. Yeah. In 16, he played 32 games. In 17 and 19, he both well, 16, played 69 games. 16, he came up because someone got hurt. He was injury replacement in 16. I mean, he only played 32 games, so that, that sounds right. I don't I don't remember 2016. <laughs> well, I'm um, trying to think. Who were their outfielders? Maybe that's when Ligaris got hurt again? Maybe. Well, I mean, even like look at the Ligaris contract. Ligaris got hurt a lot, and they still gave him like, like, a, thing, like a five-year? Five-year deal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously it doesn't mean doesn't mean anything considering a difference in ownership and GMs, but the Mets have done Mets have been willing to give outfielders injury prone outfielders lengthy deals before to be able mm-hmm. to get a cheaper price on them. Right. And, you know, and, when you're after when you're paying, you know, next year you're paying two, two pitchers eighty million dollars total. You're gonna have to be or not eighty. Degrom makes twenty five. So you're paying them seventy million dollars total. My bad. Excuse you. Yeah, I'll just I'll just go quit the pod. Yeah. But when you're doing that, you have to be able to give yourself some sort of financial flexibility. And I think having Nimmo at that price gives you financial flexibility in general going forward. No, definitely. And and I mean it's like 17 and a half a year. No, and that's again, that's very team friendly. It's just he he averages 85 games a year. And that's not great. You 17 million is still a lot for that. But you look at the numbers for when he does play, you're looking at a guy that's gonna hit 270, a near 400 on base, slug 450, he has an 847 OPS and in the in since 2017, he has a 133 OPS plus. He's a he's a damn good player. Whatever position, center fielder or corner outfielder, he is a top on his worst day, he's a top 10 outfielder at that position. Yeah, no, at worst. So he is he is a damn good player. The Nimmo is a fourth outfielder crowd, has been very quiet the past couple of years because he's really freaking good. He's a guy that you can you can build around 400 on base at the top of the order is really valuable. So especially if you can move into a corner outfielder. I think that the defense will improve slightly and he's gotten better over the past couple of years. My only issue is his health. That's the only problem. That's the only reason why I would even hesitate to give him nine figures, but if he stays healthy, it's yeah, lot. and I think it's I think it's one of those. I mean, you have to give to get. If you're going to be able to get him at that cheap of a price, you have to give the years. Mm-hmm. You know, just think a lot like the Buxton deal. It's pretty good for both sides. Oh, I agree. Some are going to say it's a steal for New York. Some will say it's a steal for the player. In the end, it's a really good deal for both. Yeah. Yeah, like he was a four-one player last year. <laughs> yeah, in like ninety games. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to do. It's very hard to do. Uh, what else is there to talk about? Oh, Hall of Fame ballots. Hall of Fame ballots. There is an issue on these ballots that we both agree with, and that is that Billy Wagner has not isn't at the 75% yet. The fact that people are out there still that don't think Billy Wagner is a Hall of Famer is ridiculous. It's a really weird conversation. Someone made the point the other day. Based on their numbers and their JAWS rating, which is kind of what's used as a baseline – for whether you are and aren't a Hall of Famer, you know Wagner is a lot closer to the Riveras and the and the 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 Hoffmans than people think. But in the same breath, guys like Joe Joe Nathan are a lot closer to Wagner than people think. So you know, I just think it's one of those endless debates of oh, if you let this guy in, you gotta let this guy in, you gotta let this guy in. It's all the bullshit back and forth. Right. 
the published ballots, I think Scott Rollins over the 75%. Bonds's, Ortiz's, Clemens's, and Wagner's coming in at like 58. So I just think, I mean, if he comes in around 55, between 55 and 60% this year, I'd be thrilled. Yeah, I'm going to try to pull up the numbers right now. It's um, on Twitter. I retweeted yeah. it. Mr. Thibbs, I believe. Yeah, I'm trying to shout out, Mr. Dude, shout oh, out what a guy. Follow him right now if you haven't. Okay, so as of right now, with 49 revealed ballots, four people are at the threshold, and it's David Ortiz, Scott Rowland, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens. The next closest is Kurt Schilling at 67%. Billy Wagner is right there at 57%. So he still needs to climb a little bit. It's can still possible, about, but mm, who knows? Can we talk about how through 49 revealed ballots, Omar Vizquel has lost like 15 votes? Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me, given the news around him. Now, I get it. It's Hall of Fame isn't based on the type of person you are. But I think that I think people are finally starting to people are finally starting to realize that he was pretty overrated as a player too. Yeah, he was not great. <laughs> I think I think the news has kind of shed a light on what he was. Yeah, a bad person, an overrated player. Yeah, I mean his career by Fangraphs, his career weighted runs created plus was eighty three. It's not good. Forty two and a half wins, not Hall of Fame worthy. Career slugging of 352 with the career OBP of 336. All that's very bad. 42 None career of wins is good. But to give an example, uh, a comparison, David Wright has a higher career war than, than Omar Vizquel. And that's in shorter time and with the last like four years of his career being riddled with injuries. Yeah. And I mean, Fangraphs didn't start tracking war until 2002. Mm. But from 02 to 2012, with that 10-year period, Omar Vizquel only had a 48 defensive run saved. I mean, obviously, it's the waning years of his career. That's still pretty good. Right. But I think people make him out to be this all-world defender who's one of the best ever. And Angelton Simmons could probably play defense around this guy. Yeah. Like, if we're putting in people into the Hall of Fame simply just based on defense, mm-hmm. I just I can't wait to hear Angelton Simmons and Nolan Arenado's um, – I mean, if we're going by defense, Scott Rowland should be near 100%. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) I mean, I think you should not be in then. Yep. Let's see if I can pull it up right now. Um, Maybe I can't. (laughs) But, like... Like, I just, I think he was an overrated defender. I think he was a terrible person. You know, I think a lot of things about him. Mm -hmm. But I'm just glad to see that people seem to finally be waking up. That's really, really unfortunate what happened. And, you know, it's got to take this, you know, terrible accusation, these terrible actions by him for people to be able to see. Not a good player, not a good person, does not deserve any sort of notoriety. Yeah. I think the one person that I'm surprised that has the amount of votes as he does is um, David Ortiz. Well, him, I, I was actually going to say Kurt Schilling, because this is a guy that much like this gal after his playing career has um, <clears throat> not had a positive viewing on the media. <laughs> his, his outspokenness has really affected him in past years. And last year after, after the ballots were released, he even went out and said, I don't want to be on the ballot. 
So I'm surprised that someone who's outright said, don't vote for me, is getting the votes that he has. He's at what? What I say is 67%. So that's just a little surprising to me. But yeah, the fact that David I mean, Ortiz is at nearly 85% is, that seems so, a little high. Yeah, I'm back at defense. I, I circled back at defensive run saved. There are 13 guys since I started fat tracking defensive run saved. 13 guys have ever reached 100. Manny Machado, Orlando Hudson, Alex Gordon, Scott Rowland, Jack Wilson, Chase Utley, Mark Ellis, Russell Martin, Nolan Arenado, Jason Hayward, Yadi Molina, Anderson Simmons, Adrian Beltre. Man, I cannot wait for the Jason Hayward induction ceremony. I can't wait for it. If we're going by greatest, like the only player to ever reach 200 defensive runs saved, Adrian Beltre. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He's at exactly 200. That's and wild, by the way. At a more premier defensive position mm-hmm. in roughly 9,500 innings less, almost to a T. Wow. Andrelton Simmons has 197 defensive front saves. So Wait, he can go. Really? So he can go the next 9,000 innings. <laughs> unless, I'm, unless I'm stupid, my reading comprehension has tailed off. But he's at 10,234. Belcher was at 19,723. Okay. Point one for both of them. So nearly 9,500 innings to a T. Eight. Adrian Beltre only has three more defensive runs saved than Anderson Simmons. That's wild. Dude, you could get me going. I do honestly believe that as long as he puts up mediocre offensive numbers, Angelton Simmons should have a Hall of Fame case. <laughs> I mean, hey. Just he for might. simply being arguably the greatest defender since Ozzie Smith. He might have a case. I mean, he's <laughs> not going to go to that aspect. Because he's not done yet. He's probably still got three or four more years as a starter. Maybe it's in places like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Colorado. Whatever. Hey, he wants to boost his Hall of Fame candidacy. Go to Colorado for a couple years, hit 20 tanks. Go to the Bronx. Hit balls (laughs) 325 feet, tuck them into the left field corner. Listen, if we're going to go on that case, I cannot wait. If this man can learn to hit even the slightest bit, Harrison Bader is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, Key Brian Hayes is already on that trajectory then. There you go. I'm a big fan of Brian Hayes, though. I don't blame you. He could be very good. Again, if he just he needs to straighten out that bat. I think he will. Oh yeah. I mean, he showed it in uh in 20, but I mean, it depends on how much you you hold stock in 2020. True. Also, can we shout out Mark Kotze? We absolutely can. I think that's very deserved. Solid major league career. I think he's one of those guys who was always just kind of there. But that's good for him. That's a good job for him in Oakland. You know, I mean, 1,784 hits. 127 home runs, 276 average, 750 career OPS. That is a solid major league career. Now a manager. That's a solid baseball life. That's a baseball lifer. Oh, yeah. That is a solid baseball life. I'm making it sound like he's dead. But <laughs> that's a good baseball life. I mean, we're talking about two uh, two managerial openings that were pretty None much settled managers. from the get-go. It and seemed neither... like the entire time the Mets were going to go with Buck Walter and the entire time the A's were going to go Mark Kotze. And they could not have been more different openings either. Right. They can, especially in terms of expectations, pressure, you know, payroll. Meeting, payroll. I mean, you have Kotze who might be managing in Los Angeles by the end of his contract. Right. And you have Showalter who might not live out his because he might just win a ring his first year and retire. Right. So 
and you have you have one guy that's trying to obtain all the talent in the world and another guy who's going to have no talent because it's going to be all traded away in fact they might their first trades as managers might be with each other that's true like would you be surprised if lockout's done and then the next day or hell even 1201 the following morning as soon as business reopens chapman traded to the mets can or, I or um, uh, a Frankie Montas or Chris Bassett trading to the Mets. Can I? I'm not. I'm not done on Marcotte for a second. I, I'm sorry. He's got an eight-year peak from '98 to '06, where he slashed 286, 341, 422, averaged 11 homers a year. It's a 102 OPS plus. Played some good defense. I think we need to do an episode because we are so desperate for content, where we pull all the managers who are all the current managers who are former players just break down their careers. Talk about like how that. Joe Girardi just sucked as a catcher. <laughs> the worst backup catcher ever. Mark Kotze, he was all right. Aaron Boone was nothing if not. At one moment. He, yep, and he ruined his, his Yankees legacy by going and being a mediocre manager. You take away that one home run, we never hear the name Aaron Boone ever again. He doesn't get a job at ESPN. No shot. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Breaking down Gabe Kapler's career, uh, Rocco Baldelli's career that was destroyed by his injuries. He had, Did he have sponsonosis too? Or am I making that up? I don't remember. He had some degenerative thing. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was. I forget what it was, but it was something like that. Um yeah, you know what? That's a that's a damn good idea. We might have to do that. We can throw Derek Jeter in there too. Nah, he's not a manager. We know what he is. Negative one hundred sixty-two career DRS. We we know we know what Derek Jeter is. Overrated as fuck. You said it, not me. Um... Damn right, I did. <laughs> and that's why Carlos Correa will be a New York Met. He said it. <laughs> He said it, let's go. <laughs> for once, for once, it's Jack saying it and not me. Moral victory. We'll take him. You might never live this down. We'll take him. Who knows when we're going to see baseball again, so I'll take anything I can get this offseason. It's understandable. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. Oh, man. Um. I don't know. Is is that it? Is that all we got? Lockdown episodes are boring as hell. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot going on, guys. Sorry. I think we made this last almost like 40 minutes. We did a damn... I mean, hey, last time we, we went somehow for... We went for an hour and 45 minutes. I cut out a good 10 minutes of it. I don't blame <laughs> you. I didn't even realize which parts you cut out. Uh, all right. Well, I mean... I guess that's it. Any final thoughts? No. This is depressing. Fuck fuck around Manfred, maybe? Okay. (laughs) My final thought. I don't know what you (laughs) My final thought. Just I hope Tony Clark and Rob Manfred decide to sit down at the table this weekend. A wonderful holiday. Have a, I hope they have a fantabulous Christmas. Yep. And this weekend they put some pen to paper on some. Right. 
even just give us like a two week moratorium to reopen the off season. Give us like one oh, day. Man, how cool would that be? No, give us like an NBA style three day moratorium. A three talk. day. Then you have to do the give us Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or you know, no, make this like a pay per view. Mm-hmm. You can have you have a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to talk from Friday to eight until midnight. That's when you have to sign deals. How cool would that be? Have like a have like a have like Scott Hansen come in and host a red zone. Oh, it's like bumping around, bumping around from war room to war room. That would be sick. I've said this time and time again. I'm on record saying this on the show. I could save baseball. Make it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> I'm gonna. I gotta go make some phone calls. <laughs> Hey, listen, you have more connections than I do. You can, you could make something happen. Let me go text your flow. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I mean, if that's all we got, I got no final thoughts. Just I like bring back baseball. I got nothing. All right, folks. We will <laughs> talk to you guys yeah. soon. But in all honesty, guys, I don't know. Who knows if something happens, whether it be Hall of Fame ballot, you know, uh, end of the Maybe, lockout, who well, knows? If, if in a couple weeks, like a week and a half or so, they have their coaching staff finalized, we can hop on and talk about that. This, here's the thing, guys. It's the Mets. There's always something happening. Never this a dull really, day. This will be a really tough testament to their Mets, their Mets, Metsness, <laughs> their Met abilities. Their Met abilities. Well, yeah, I, I guess, I guess that's going to be it. As always, LFGM. <laughs>